Good morning, we'll invite you to come and have a seat. If you haven't had quite enough coffee um, or tea or hot chocolate, there's gonna be another opportunity, so. Um, my name is Eden and I love being a part of this faith community. We gather with gratitude on the lands of the Samiamu, Stolo and Kwatlin's, Kwatlin peoples. And I'm gonna switch my page here, sorry. And a special warm welcome to our Zoomers. Is that a word? We love having you guys with us. Thanks so much. I want you each to know that you are welcome here this morning. Your presence is not a surprise to God and it's not an inconvenience to us. We prepare for our gatherings with you in mind. And even if we have never met, we hope you feel like you belong in our family. Jesus, we ask that as we are reminded of who you truly are through these songs, that you would wash off the residue of having been knocked around by life this last while. Would you fill each one of our team members this morning with love and light? Amen. I've spent most of this time just trying to keep it together because there are a lot of storms going on around here. We have a lot of people who are facing significant health issues and challenges to their life and how they live it. And um, I just ask you to join me in praying for them. And I'm going to use just two passages from the songs this morning. No matter what, underneath all things are the everlasting arms. Underneath all things, everlasting arms of grace. Underneath all things are the everlasting arms. Underneath it all is love. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure. How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Um, this morning, we have Bradley Jersak joining us. Just two weeks ago, Bradley and I celebrated our 37th anniversary. No small thing. That should have been a way bigger cheer, guys. What I want you to know about Bradley is that he's been a massive support to me. I have never had to kick a door open, but I have been invited in with Bradley's support. He's smart, he's kind, extremely gifted, sometimes silly, um, but he is never afraid of my strength and often steps aside to make space for me. I had a picture for you this morning as I was praying for you, Bradley. I saw you with honey dripping from your lips. So I quickly looked up the passage that uses that language. And it's from Psalm 119, 
103 and 105, and I think this is the amplified version. I think this describes you, Bradley, and your love for God and the word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. For your precepts, I get understanding. From your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Amen. Come on up. I mean, to be clear, that's about Jesus, right? Yes. Speaking of Jesus, let's have the uh, passage for today up on the screen. Um, this is from Matthew chapter 5, the very words of Jesus from the central section of his core sermon. And we're so what we're doing is we're taking the whole life story of Jesus and we're zooming in to the center of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found his foundation for his message, his foundation for his kingdom. This is the constitution of the kingdom of God. The very core of our faith, what it is to follow Jesus. And at the end of this uh, sermon, Matthew 7, he says this. Here is the wise person who builds their house on the rock. They hear these words of mine and put them into practice. And then he warns us in the same sermon, not many people are going to want to, including Christians. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And that has nothing to do with going to heaven. Don't worry, you're probably all going to heaven. But will you live this way? Not many of us can or want to. So it's, it's a narrow way. And you're going to see why. It's a challenging way. And he says this. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. There's actually verses like that. Uh, but I say to you, love your enemies. We can, of course, none of you have enemies, right? But do you have others? Love the enemy other. I don't hate anybody. Trump, Trump, Trump. I hate lots of people. And I need to hear this, not because I'm a sentimentalist, because I need repentance. Because I hold malice in my heart, and my malice won't enter the kingdom with me. So I may as well just admit that there are those who I would make my enemy other. And if enemy's too strong a term, just go with other. Love the other with a capital O. Where was I? But I say to you, love your enemies. Love the enemy other. Bless those who curse you. You got haters? Let me tell you about haters. Now, do, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven or daughters of your Father in heaven. Chil the children of God are those who imitate him in blessing those who hate us. His reign on the just and on the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The word perfect there doesn't, isn't about perfection. It's, it's, it's the word for like, um, maturity, fullness of maturity. If you want to come to the maturity, um, that looks like your father in heaven, here's how you do it. You love indiscriminately. You're gracious and kind without favoritism. You're ra- radically hospitable. You're, um, inclusive of even those that are meant to be others and othered. So I want to start there today because um, we could like imagine making Christianity radical again. What we've observed throughout history at various times and in movements, let's say like the Anabaptists or Mennonites, anybody of Anabaptist or Mennonite origin here, what they began to notice in the, in, in their time was that the church stopped looking like this, that the status quo establishment religion of the day that used the label Christian was drifting further and further away from the very teachings of Jesus to the point that when they were interrogated under torture and quoted the words of Jesus, priests would accuse them of being demonic, demonized, demon-possessed. Good thing that doesn't happen anymore, except wait. Um, A guy named Frank Lutz said, pastors are being asked... Right now, this morning, as they preach the words of Jesus, where are you getting these liberal talking points? It's like, I'm literally quoting Jesus. Well, that doesn't work anymore. It's weakness. What? So this is a problem these days, and it's not a problem exclusive to, you know, some of us have come out of, let's say, conservative fundamentalist backgrounds, but it's sort of a problem across the board, where whether, however you identify on some kind of spectrum, left, right, conservative, liberal, the words of Jesus, they poke at us. Let's have that next slide. So there's a guy named Dan White Jr., and he's a church growth and uh, consultant, and he goes from church to church of all kinds. And after surveying thousands of active churchgoers, I'm not talking nominal Christians who just pretend to be Christian. I mean the ones who show up week after week. After interviewing thousands and thousands of them with a, a survey and presenting that passage to them, and saying, what are your views on loving your enemy? What are your views of forgiving? It actually is pretty unpopular among the church crowd. Uh, Next slide. So here's what he found out in his survey. And it shows congregant, he showed congregants the command, love your enemies from that passage. And here's the response he got. Among progressive Christians, people who would identify, I'm a progressive, I'm a progressive, I'm on the left, or whatever, you know, whatever label you want to use for that ideology, 
76% said forgiving your enemies is complicity with injustice. Then he went to the conservative church and they said it is compromise with immorality. This is three quarters of people who go to church every week. When confronted with the words of Jesus, actually rejected them because it doesn't fit their ideology. And so I've, now I've used a big word, and we're going to talk about ideology for a few minutes. And I want to um, have some definitions for you about this. So it might help. But, but you, and here's where we're going, just so you know. So what, I, what I'm going to do is just like affirm you in a little bit about the way you have followed the gospel and Jesus instead of following ideologies. But I, I can't really say that without explaining what an ideology is. So let me give you a simple definition. An ideology, it's kind of like the word religion. An ideology refers to a set of strongly held beliefs and values, a system of thinking that about, let's say, your views on society, politics, um, and so on. But that, that system of beliefs, if it's like a script. And if you receive that script, if you embrace that script, the script actually influences your thoughts and actions and your way of seeing the whole world. That's what an ideology does. So think about it as, as a religion without worship. It's just a way of thinking, a system of thinking, and I just buy into that script, and that script actually tells me how to think. And an ideology becomes an idol. When does it become an idol? When I stop thinking critically, and I just believe what I'm told to believe, and worst of all, when I stop loving the other. When I, when I see even people as in us and them, this is what an ideology does. It, it can even be a good set of beliefs, but, but if that good set of beliefs is like us versus them, then, it, then it's an idol. Um, in the 90s, we had a book come out call, uh, called The Culture Wars. You ever hear that phrase, The Culture Wars? What's a culture war? It divides up our culture into ideologies identifies where you are, and then lets you know who the enemy is to fight. And it can be on any issue. So let's go to the, okay, so here we have, what, what do you see there? So I hear a cross and I hear a graph. I, I would, that is like so great. I was hoping we would say that. <laughs> um, so I want to start with this graph here. We're going to turn it into a cross over the next few minutes. So on the graph, first of all, you see the horizontal line, and that represents what I'm calling the spectrum. The spectrum, the left versus the right, the conservatives versus the progressives, 
the Muslims versus the Christians, the theists against the atheists, you name it, you can figure out an us-them spectrum. And here's what all, here's what the spectrum does for everybody. It asks you to go sit on it. Where are you on the spectrum? How far are you to the left or the right? How conservative or progressive are you? How, you know, in, and so, so it invites us to find our place, the, the place we belong in an ideology, in a system of beliefs. And it's so handy because let's say, if you tell me, well, I'm this, I can tell you nine other of your beliefs. If you're in an ideology, I can tell you if you're stuck in an ideology, I can tell you that if you're pro-life, you're for the death penalty. Isn't that weird? How did those get in a package? But this is what happens. It gets in a package, these little packages of beliefs. And see, so if you tell me what I, um, what you believe about sexuality, I could tell you what you believe about abortion. How is that possible? Because we have packages of beliefs in these ideologies. And all of them, all of them have um, probably a good intention. And that is this. All spectrum ideology is trying to define freedom. So my rights on the right, my rights are this, 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 and this, you know, the package on the left, my rights are this, 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 and this, that's the package. And we're defining, then what have we done? We've just said that freedom equals my rights. Isn't that interesting? We have a stronger word for this. Let's go to the next slide. Self-will. Self-will. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Self-will is the fall in the Garden of Eden. I want to be God without God. So when we start defining freedom, if we descend into, if we lower our view of freedom into self-will, then anybody who gets in the way of my rights and my freedoms is my enemy. So, so on this, on this vertical axis, I'm, I'm treating actually self-will as a full. And it's a really screwed up definition of freedom. In fact, it's a kind of bondage. But what if we were to ascend or to transcend and we began to see freedom in the words of Jesus as gospel. That freedom is what happens when I love the other. Freedom, instead of freedom being a right, I insist on. Freedom is an experience I have when I am at peace with my brothers and sisters, my strangers, my neighbors, even my enemies. And it is for this freedom that Christ set us free. So if we can, if we, as we move away from self-will, as we rise above the us-them kind of culture wars stuff, as we begin to practice the Jesus way of loving the other, we actually experience a new kind of freedom. Let's go to the next. Okay, so, oh, we're on this one now. Okay. So don't move past this one yet. What am I doing there? Well, I've added a couple lines on this graph, and I'm saying this. There is a really a huge problem with polarization these days. There's another big word. So we had um, um, we had 
ideology is a kind of idol where we have a package of beliefs that tells us what we have to believe and who our enemy is. Polarization, what is it? Can you help me with that? Define it? Anyone? Yes. That's quite a distance. Yeah. So, and others, others, in a, let's say in the social or political sense, what's polarization? It's colder too, by the way. Separation. So here's what's happening. The lower, the further down we descend into self-will, we drag that whole horizontal line downwards. We push each other further and further apart. Conservatives and progressives in the 1980s could work together sometimes in ways they no longer can because the polarization, the distance, the separation, it has grown and grown and grown until you not only have to hate the other, you have to not only exclude the other, you have to silence them. And it's so extreme and, and, and it doesn't help to try to be in the middle. Well, I'm a centrist. No, 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 you're still on the spectrum. Guess who the other is when you're a centrist? The far right and the far left. And the, the extreme right and the extreme left, that's how you would say it negatively from the center, right? But the people on the far right and the far left, they're like, we're not far anything. We're populists. And the people in the middle are establishment, the elite. You know, so it's just, even in the center, you're, you're still on the spectrum. You're still in a us them. There's still always, always an enemy. But if we can, if we begin to rise up, the two lines indicate there that as I let go of self will and as I practice love of the other, as I follow Jesus, people who are even radically different can become friends and work together. We begin to close that distance. This is one of the wonderful things I have when I'm, I'm teaching at, um, at St. Stephen's University. By the way, this is just a teaser for a full course that we're doing this fall, if you want in. So um, it'll be like four recorded lessons and two and, and, a, and a Zoom meetings or whatever. What, you can talk to me later about that if you want the full course. But this is the teaser. So what we have in our classroom is I'm going to have like a lesbian pastor sitting next to a Jordan Peterson fan. And at the beginning of the week, they're like, that's my enemy. At the end of the week, they're doing karaoke together. How do we do this? I'll tell you how our secret is, and it really happens. It happens every time because we teach self-giving love all week long. Kenosis, Jesus emptied himself. It says, Paul says, uh, have this mind that is in Christ, that you treat others with more concern even than for yourself. Be like Jesus who emptied himself in self-giving love and as he does practices self-giving love. And guess what? They don't change their minds. They just stop separating. They stop seeing the other as their enemy. And the lesbian pastor is still a lesbian pastor. And the Jordan Peterson fan is still a Jordan Peterson fan. And, and we don't have to change them. 
at that level. We leave their ideologies alone. What we do is we rise up. We transcend the spectrum. We draw them closer together. So I'm like, I, I get to practice this in small ways. I'm like, what if we did this with a culture? Well, you'd have to convince people to follow Jesus, I guess. And that starts with the church where that's a narrow door right now. Let's see what's the next slide. So what the idea here is as, as we follow Jesus, as we love the other, we go from us, them into we. We and that we're one. Do I have any more slides there? That this is so down, down below, we're leaving ideology behind because ideologies polarize us into us, them. And we're, we're embracing gospel because it lifts us up and causes us to work together in love and to see the other not as a threat, but as a fascinating individual. Now, I want this is I said I was going I have no idea what time it is. Okay, so what I, I said I was going to affirm the bridge. Those, how many of you aren't from the bridge here? Any visitors? Okay, woo. okay, welcome here. So here's what happened with the bridge a few years ago, I think. No, it's good news. The bridge decided they wanted to um, come out as a church that includes the LGBTQ community. Some people observing from the outside might have seen this as a slide from right to left. It wasn't. Do you know what the theme of the year was? What was the theme, Eden? Christ at the center. So, the, so and, and that was a huge shield from being co-opted by ideologies. You put Christ at the center, and why are you inclusive? Because we follow Jesus. Because it's his table, and it's an open table, and we're not the policemen of his table. We are servants. I don't know if you realize how huge that was strategically. It prevented you from being taken over by ideologies that would have loved to, and maybe tried to, give you a whole package script of all the other things you have to affirm and all the other people you have to exclude. And it didn't happen because it was about following Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with Philip? Is that what was? Okay. Checking with the steering team, you know. Um, but that's what I observed and why it's the thing I brag about the bridge. I'm an outsider. Uh, I don't want to be part of this church. I, uh, I'm a committed visitor who loves it, though. Um, um, no, I, you know, I have my own church. But but I come here, and, and this is one of the things I love about it, is you have gotten away with transcending spectrum ideology. See, now I can use the big words, right? You've, you've transcended it, but here's normally people who try to transcend it. You know what they do? they stop doing the work of justice. They're like, we don't want to be into those fights. 
we're not into the culture wars, so we won't do justice anymore. We're, that's, that's political. That's, and back away from that. And, um, and you don't have to, and you haven't. And so I want to close my little talk with an example from scripture that Jesus followed in how to transcend the us-them hatred, but stay deeply connected in the world of justice. Um, if you have your Bibles or your iPhones, you could turn on your Bible to Isaiah 58, verse 6 to 12. This is awesome, because he was not involved in the culture wars at all. But does this sound like someone who's walked away from the work of justice? This was Jesus' own marching orders. This is the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness, same word, justice, will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger... With malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Who's in? All right, let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we've got these folks who are in. They want to transcend us-them rivalries and the old patterns of culture wars, hatred, and yet they want to do justice in the world the way Jesus did. And so, here are yes, Lord, and we pray that uh, that that in addition to our desire for this way of being, that you would also fulfill the promises as part of it, that our healing would quickly appear. For those especially today who are struggling with um, mental, emotional, spiritual, or bodily health, Lord, would you lay your wounded hands on them and release your healing love and light today. In Jesus' name, amen. Name is Kathy. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> I'm wondering, uh, Kathy, if... you're you're an Isaiah 58 woman. I could not help but see your face all the time I was reading that passage. Oh my goodness! Thank you for seeing my heart. I do. Um, I'm wondering if you could express to us how living this way, moving from ideology to gospel, how that changes how we uh, view and execute justice. That's a good one. That's easy. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> no, I want to I give a thoughtful response. So 
if we understand the definition of justice, um, an ideological version of justice, like freedom, would be about punishment. A gospel vision of justice is about restoration. So then, the work of justice becomes, Isaiah 58, 6, 12, to be a repairer of broken walls, whether it's, uh, or like, like cities long devastated. So if you think about justice in terms of, behold, I make all things new. We start participating in Jesus' ministry of making all things new. And here's the amazing thing is that with the with ideological version of justice, we actually thought violence would bring about peace. How's that working for us? But a restoration, a gospel, a Jesus Sermon on the Mount way of doing justice, it, um, it, it's, all, it's all about healing. And it's about seeing what needs healing. And I, I would even say this, that um, like curing the disease of hatred does not work by hating. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Don't become the thing you hate. Um, these are beasts that are over. So we, uh, Paul, Paul will say it clearly in Romans, right? We, we overcome evil with good. And so that means being creative. So in particular moments, what is it we need to sow to reap justice? And this is how James says it in his epistle. Uh, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of justice. He's doing commentary on the Sermon on the Mount there. So thanks, Kathy. I just can't remember. Yeah. When I read it, I thought to myself, okay. I had never read, I'd never really thought about this before, but so it says, um, do all this so that you might be sons of your father in heaven. And I thought, okay, I've been told and I've heard that you get to be a son or a daughter because you say a prayer. Doesn't mm. matter where you say it in your room, in your, doesn't matter, but you say this prayer and then you get to be a son. And I thought, no, I think no, this is not what that says at all. No. Like it doesn't, there's no, no nothing personal yeah. confession. It's about a life of prayer that means doing with your hands and feet, right? No condemnation. It's all looks different for everybody, but it's the first time I thought that. I thought, well, this doesn't, yeah, like that's so clear there. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and it comes up earlier in the Beatitude. It says this, um, blessed are the peacemakers. Because they will be called the sons and daughters of Rachel. So there's two things going on in the New Testament. One is, A, we're all sons and daughters by virtue of having a heavenly father that created everyone. And then second, there, we, we are sons and daughters by imitation. So here's the crazy thing is, he says, if you want to be perfectly like your father and become a son, here's what you do. And he doesn't bring up perfectionism. What he says is, you cause blessings for good people and bad people, the righteous and the wicked. You're indiscriminate in your, in, in your, you're gratuitous. You're, you show grace without favor. That, that's, that's what it is to imitate the father. Cause if you, if we have, if it rains this afternoon, it's going to rain on like lovely people and ugly people, you know, like angry people and, you know, and 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 in the sun shining on everybody, it does. 
this is how the father is. He just doesn't exclude. So be like that. And then people will go, oh, you must be a son of God or you must be a daughter of God because like that's what he does and that's what you do. So children by imitation. Yep. Yeah. The, there is this passage that I read. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time reading the Bible and there is this thing about adoption as sons. Uh, and so then I just kind of study a little bit. Okay, what, what does this mean to be adopted as a son? Uh, meaning you are already, but you're still being. And there's this tradition that would often happen in Hebrew culture where when you're 12 or 13 or something, you're already in the family, but you get this kind of rites of passage to be adopted already as a as already belonging. So when you when you said both of these things, we we already belong. But if you want to like become a mature person, then so they they had that passage made more sense then because I was I was like, how do you adopt someone when you're already part of the family? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Eric Jansen. Oh no, he told me he was coming to heckle me today. So. Jersey. <laughs> um, the the picture I saw kind of what you, while you were talking was of a big heart would be the father's heart and then a little heart, which would be ours. And then I just saw this connection. And there's this, you know, uh, the love of God flowing into us. And the more we open our heart to that transformative, transfiguring exchange, our heart starts to look like his. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, listen, this is how much God loves that he would love your, your and en- he loves his enemies actually to the point where he doesn't even see them as enemies. He actually has no enemies. And if you can grasp that difficult truth, when you encounter the other, there's it's, I'm hopeful, I'm not there yet, but actually I would one day stop being even able to see them as other. And all I can do is love them. And if I can get there, my heart will mirror the heart of Jesus, you know, perfectly. Um, so that's how I, I'm hearing it. There's more of a picture for it. but And how do you do that? And I think it really is just it, every day you kind of, here's my heart, Lord. It's so imperfect, but please pour into me. And he loves to do that. So, Thanks, Eric. While the mic comes up, um, yeah, there's positive and negative ways of doing that. So a positive way is beginning to pr- practically, positively think about Jesus' face overlaid in everyone you see. The negative way that I also practice w- would be like, I want, I want a very clear vision of every bit of malice in my heart so I can bring that into the presence of God for him to heal. Because there's a kind of doing this that can just be denial. I'm like, no, I, I can, that's why I confess that I hate some people. Well, that sounds terrible. Yeah, but part of me might a little bit. I need to get that out there where you can see it, where God can see it, where we can, where we can love that back to love, right? So. Uh, hey, Brad. Hi. Myron here. Good old um, Myron. Yeah. Great. Hey, um, I was struck by the, the research that you showed from Dan White, I think, and just the way the progressives and conservatives, yeah, that one, um, complicity with injustice, but I, on, on uh, the progressive side, but I and was wondering, just, you know, reading 
different theologies from, you know, historically oppressed groups, where there's kind of this push to say, hey, don't lose sight of the rage, maybe it's okay to actually feel this kind of uh, anger and indignation at injustice, uh, and kind of a sensitivity to the way that forgiveness talk has been used to kind of suppress that legitimate, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Lament, lament. Well, and and hurt yeah. uh, that oppressed groups have kind of felt. So, I'm wondering yeah. how how does you know um, holding up kind of the 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 life giving standard of forgiveness and a love in the way of Jesus? How does that work with you know being sensitive to the way that that very same language has been used to silence the cry of the oppressed? Yeah. So uh, number one is we need to just name it. The uh, there is a, a distorted vision of forgiveness that has been used to silence the oppressed. Not okay. Let's name it. Let's repent of it. And, and let's keep our eye on it all the time because that constantly wants to creep in. Um, however, then, or and, I've watched how quickly people who say, well, I've left the church, but I haven't left Jesus move from well actually i've left jesus but i believe in love actually love doesn't win and shut up about your forgiveness there is no path to redemption for the oppressor okay now we've just bailed on jesus and i'm saying like that's why that's why we have progressives and conservatives on on the on the graph is because this is absolutely true that forgiveness has been weaponized against the oppressed. But if the oppressed hope to be healed without forgiveness, sorry, sorry. And I'm sorry that it was the weaponizers who created that delusion. But it, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've watched what I, that thing in, particular people happen in a matter of months and, and so what so there needs to be a path to restoration that doesn't silence the oppressed in their lament and even in their imprecation so another big word imprecatory psalms are the angry psalms there's a lot of them, and we should probably be praying them. Yeah. Great question. Can you just read that on the screen, Brad? Listen, forgiveness can be weaponized and has been. But forgiveness as such, it's not a weapon. Jesus speaks about forgiveness as being freed from something, not being forced to do something. So this is where it was weaponized. You just need to forgive. You need to stop lamenting. You need to stop being angry. You need, that's the weaponization of forgiveness. And it has nothing to do with the Jesus way who prayed the Psalms. I'm just wanting to ask about forgiveness when you've been abused. How do oppressed people forgive? What an amazing question, um, because so so I've thought about this for years and years and years because because I because we deal with real oppressed people and that I've been an oppressor. So now what do we say? So here's where I start. I start with 
forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying it is okay. Forgiveness is not saying I'm okay. Forgiveness is not saying you're okay. And forgiveness is not saying we're okay. None of that is forgiveness. Most of those can be twisted into further oppression. So then, what is, our, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when I take the oppressor and I don't just left, let them off the hook. I bring them to Jesus and I leave them with him. I now there, there may be more work, other work to do around reconciliation and around justice, but forgiveness itself is when I bring them to him and I say, I am going to leave them to your judgment, and I am going to trust you to judge them rightly, even the judgment of repentance. And I pray it like this, Lord, show them the mercy I want for me. I don't get to put them in the land of the law while I stay in the land of grace. The measure with which I judge, I will be judged. So I can't say, use the hammer on them and the feather on me. But there is grief in there, and there, there is real grief in there, and there are real wounds to be healed and so on. But those wounds can't be healed if I won't leave them with him. Because if I retain them in me, they have rent space for the rest of my life. I've actually internalized my abuser. Forgiveness is evicting your abuser from your heart, leaving them with Christ, knowing nobody gets away with anything. And if we need somebody to experience torment, he did. So, great question. So, again, just if we can somehow see the word forgive means let go, release. Here's a weird thing. It's the same Greek word for divorce. <laughs> why, why would you use forgive and divorce? Same word. Well, it's about loosing, releasing, releasing ourselves from the the chains that hold me to the abuser, the oppressor. So I hope that helps a little bit, but I know that Eden would love to do follow-up on that with you. <laughs> yeah. um, one more. Great question. Uh, oh, my goodness. All the way to the back. You too could ap apply to be in the full course with my friend Lawrence this fall. So through the talk, one of the things, and with that question, oh, sorry, um, and um, curiosity, because I think with different ideologies, and I know even in my own life, when there's words like forgiveness, reconciliation, and there's hurt, and there's things like that, it's these ideologies that crop up instead of a curiosity, saying, what would Jesus actually be saying to me if forgiveness is important to jesus what would he say not what does the ideologies teach because what he says is full of love and what does that restoration look like what does the journey look like 
And it's not always something that happens instantaneously when there's curiosity involved. Beautiful. That's a lovely summing up. So we're going to close here um, and let you go. And I want to leave you with a benediction this morning. And I'm going to go back to a couple things we learned this morning. Underneath all things are the everlasting arms. Underneath all things, everlasting arms of grace. Underneath all things are the everlasting arms. Underneath it all is love. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Amen. <laughs>